Uh, but first, let me ask you this question. How you doing? And when I ask that to a group like this, you know that I don't really want you to explain to me how you're doing, right? I mean, you just, just kind of the usual, you know, cool, fine, good. Uh, or you can ask it back like Joey from Friends, how you doing, right? I, how, what, however that plays out. But we, we know kind of the social acceptable answers. Even, even outside of a large crowd, when you're with your friends in public or at Bellaterra for lunch, and you see someone that you know and you say, how you doing? Get, get, throw out, what are, what are the acceptable answers to that question? Great. How you doing? Fine. I'm good. How are you? Right? And unbelievable. I'm fantastic. You wouldn't believe. Couldn't be better. Right? That, those are acceptable answers. That's what we want to hear. That's what we've trained ourselves to respond in this culture where we say we keep things at kind of this, this shallow level relationally. Right? Now, I don't, I don't really know why we do that. I'm not going to go into all the psychological reasons why that, or that plays out in our culture. Maybe we're a little bit afraid of how we're actually doing, and we don't really want to get honest about it. Maybe we just don't like entering into other people's messes, because our lives are messy enough, and we just want to keep it, keep it right here. But I think that because we're in a culture that, that keeps things at this certain level, we often can project that onto God. And we think that, that maybe God keeps things at that level, too. That maybe, maybe he just wants us to, to say, hey, God, we just praise you, and we just sing these great songs to you, and, and we keep it at that level because we're doing fine. And, and as long as that we're smiling, serving, and tithing, you're going to be happy with us, and you're, we're, you know, we're good. And I think that that's an easy assumption, even subtly, to make. And so we want to talk a little bit today about what it means to be honest, what it means to be desperate. That the reality is that life isn't always that way. And as you look at scripture, I, maybe some of you are new to this Bible thing and this faith thing and this Jesus guy. And you don't really have a grasp on the Bible. And maybe you think, like many do, that the Bible is just a lot of this. Read with me in Psalm 33. It says, sing joyfully to the Lord, you righteous. It is fitting for the upright to praise him. Praise the Lord with the harp. Make music to him on the ten-string lyre. Do you have one of those? You can make music to him. Sing to him a new song. Play skillfully and shout for joy. Sometimes we don't feel skillful. Sometimes we don't feel like shouting for joy, right? Let's just read a little bit more. For the word of the Lord is right and true. He is faithful in all he does. The Lord loves righteousness and justice. The earth is full of his unfailing love. Now listen, all that is true. It's true. And yet, it's not the whole of the story. It is not all of our life experience. We don't always feel this way. And God is not always moving in a way that makes us respond like that. And it's okay. When we, when we just think of Scripture and God like this, we, it does a couple of things to us. One, it minimizes real pain and real hurt. And two, it doesn't... It doesn't give us the broader context of the story, this larger story that we're involved in and, and that we live in. So let's look at Psalm 88. If you have Bibles, you can flip there real quick. It'll be on the screen as well. Here's another perspective, okay? I'm just going to read to the top part, too. It says this is a song. Did you know that the Psalms were songs? They are songs. They were written to music. People sang them in places like this. This is a song that people sang, okay? Lord, you are the God who saves me. Day and night I cry out to you. 
My prayer comes before you. Turn your ear to my cry. I am overwhelmed with troubles, and my life draws near to death. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am like one without strength. I am set apart with the dead, like the slain who lie in the grave, whom you remember no more, who are cut off from your care. You have put me in the lowest pit, in the darkest depth. It goes on like that. If you find yourself in a season that feels a little something like that, it's okay. And you might want to go home and read Psalm 88. You might want to borrow a 10-string lyre and, and sing that song for a while. Because it's real. It's honest. That's a place where we land in this life. Sometimes we need to sing songs of desperation. Sometimes we need to pour out that kind of honest cry and say, this is hard. My life is difficult. God, this isn't what I thought it was going to be. And the reality is that when we enter into seasons like that, we will all be desperate at different times. You might be here and you're not desperate right now, but you have been. You know what that feels like? Or you will know what that feels like. And in our moments, in our seasons of desperation, we still, friends, we still will have choices to make which direction we go. I had uh, a great-grandmother that I think she died when I was about like 10 or 12 or something. So uh, I didn't get to know her well. But I remember this about my great-grandma. She, I don't even remember her first name. You know, like the older grandmas, they're just Grandma Henry. And I, she might not have even had a first name for all I know. But Grandma Henry uh, was from Oklahoma, but she moved to California in her later years as kind of the family came that way. And Grandma Henry had a hard life. She had a hard life. She was married to an alcoholic minor league baseball player who just drank away their money, and they lived in a small place. But she met the Lord later in her life, and she was an unbelievable woman of faith in this God. And my dad would tell me stories about this woman. He told me that every, that every day of my life that she prayed for me by name, all her kids and grandkids. And I remember seeing this. He said that uh, she couldn't talk about Jesus without breaking down and crying. Because she had had her life was so desperate, so difficult, and yet she had had her life so transformed. She couldn't, she couldn't even talk about Jesus without crying. Uh, she... Uh, she <laughs> She's just a special woman. And I want to share with us some story, just one story about Jesus. I, I, I think I mentioned this story a little while ago, um, but I want to go into it a little bit now. This is, this is from Mark 10, 44, 46 to 52. Oh, I remember what I wanted to say about my grandma. My grandma, she, because, her, because her husband drank away all their money, when she was in her 60s, she got a job at Dairy Queen so that she could have some cash to hand her grandkids when they came to visit. She was a special woman. Okay, enough about Grandma. Mark 10. Then they reached Jericho, and as Jesus and his disciples left town, a large crowd followed him. A blind beggar named Bartimaeus, son of Timaeus, was sitting along 
beside the road. When Bartimaeus heard that Jesus of Nazareth was nearby, he began to shout, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. Are you with me? It's here in your notes as well. Jesus, son of mercy, or son of David, have mercy on me. This man who had been blind for years and was sitting begging, desperate, tried everything else. Doctors couldn't do anything about it. The man's blind. He hears of this Jesus that's been healing people, that's been doing crazy miracles, that speaks with some kind of unreal, kind of unhuman authority, and he hears that he's coming near, and he just cries out amidst this crowd, Jesus, God, have mercy on me. Now, the people that were there, they, they tried to shut him up. It says, be quiet, many of the people yelled at him. But he only shouted louder. Son of David, have mercy on me. Now, when Jesus heard him, he stopped and said, tell him to come here. Okay, two things we pull out of that last little bit. Even though he was told to be quiet and shut up, hey, that's not socially acceptable. I don't, re- I don't really want to know how you're doing. Don't yell in this, do you know how important this guy is? Be quiet. He doesn't have time for you. He's going to visit some important people. He's going to do some crazy important things. He's going to go teach. Shut up, guy. And he says, no, no, no. He just shouted all the more. Son of God, have mercy on me. And Jesus hears And what does he do? He tells the people, the same ones who were just shutting up Bartimaeus, he says, hey, go get him. Tell him to come here. That's an important piece because it tells us that the crowd has a role to play. That there is a role to play for the crowd in the healing of the desperate. So if you are here today and you are not in that desperate season, you might know, you might be shortly removed from that, or it might be coming for you, who knows. But if you are not there today, you still have a role to play. You still have a role to play in the desperate circumstances of the people at work, in your family, in your neighborhood, and even in here this morning. There is a role for us to play as a crowd. And Jesus instructs us, go, I hear him, go get him and And bring him to me. So they called to the blind man. Cheer up, they said. Come on, he's calling you. Bartimaeus threw aside his coat, jumped up, and came to Jesus. When Bartimaeus throws aside his coat, what it represents, what it means is he's throwing aside his life, his old life. This coat was laid out in front of him. You know like the the street musicians put their guitar cases out there and their hats and you throw the money in. That's what he was doing. He put his coat out there as a way to get money from people. So when he hears that Jesus wants to connect with him, that wants to talk with him, he throws that coat, doesn't doesn't gather up the coins and put them in his little man purse. He throws the coat. He He just gets rid of it, and it says he jumps up and starts to go to Jesus. And then Jesus says to him, what do, you want, what do you want me to do for you? I'm like, look at this. My rabbi, the blind man said, I want to see. And Jesus said to him, go for your faith has healed you. And instantly the man could see and he followed Jesus down the road. My rabbi, if you have a pen, like this blue one right here, if you have a pen, circle my rabbi. Because desperation will lead us one of two places. It will lead us to dependence 
on God, or it will lead us to defiance of God. That's on the back page of your notes. Desperation will lead you to one of two places, dependence on God or defiance. And for blind Bartimaeus, it led him to relationship. He said, my rabbi, my rabbi, relationship, I am with you. You're my guy. I hope that you heal me and, and make my eyes to see. But even if you don't, you're my rabbi. De- dependence, dependence, let me describe, is that's like saying, in essence, your will be done, God. Dependence is when we get to the point where we say, God, your, your will be done. I will throw off this old life. I will go to you. I trust you. You're my hope. Even though these circumstances are just brutal, I will trust you, God. Defiance, on the other hand, is saying, God, I'm, I'm, just, I'm not even sure you're good anymore because my will is not being done. This is the way that I spe- expected this would play out. It is not playing out this way, so I don't even know if you're the God in heaven. I don't even know if you are good anymore, right? Desperation will lead you, and it will lead me, to dependence on God or defiance of God. And he is desperate for that. What he wants is our relationship. And Bartimaeus got that. I was last night, um, I told you last week, I was at the Hopeful Hearts event down in Balboa. And uh, it was amazing. It was amazing. It was this family who has three kids. They lost one of them just a few years ago to uh, a heart defect. And all of their kids have a heart defect. All three of them have this congenital heart defect. And the one, they knew that she was sick, but they didn't expect her to die. And she just got sick one day, especially, and she died in her dad's arms. In her dad's arms. Her, just, her head went limp, and he didn't. It was just, I don't know, just painful. So we're watching this video. We're learning about that, and I get up, and I pray, and I do the little welcome deal and everything. And uh, it struck me that we serve a God who allows us to go through these desperate things. I don't think he does that stuff to us. He doesn't do it to us, but he allows it. He's God, he's supreme, but he allows it so that he can bring good out of evil. Only God can do that. Anybody can bring good out of good. Only God can bring good out of evil. And I saw it last night. I don't know what is a more painful loss than the loss of your child. And these people have turned that into a celebration event where hundreds came and were blessed, where tons of money was raised, where they invited all these other families with kids with heart defects, and they gave them money, and they just loved on them. And it was such an unbelievable thing. The Chez family has learned how to take a desperate situation and go dependent in relationship with God, the, the God who brings good out of evil. Because, because, the reality is, blind Bartimaeus got his sight. But there are stories in our lives and all through scripture where we pray and we pray and we pray and God doesn't do it the way we asked. And that's when, instead of going defiant, we can go dependent and say, okay, God, what your will be done. And our example is Jesus. Even Jesus had to do that. When he was in the Garden of the Gethsemane praying, God, I will go and do this. I will go to this cross. I will go and sacrifice my life so that, all, so that all of us, all of these people throughout history and all of eternity can have connection with you again. I will do it. But in Luke twenty two forty two, he says, Father, if you are willing, take this cup from me. I don't want to do it this way. This is going to be agony, yet not my will but yours be done. 
and he went through with it. God allowed him to suffer and die. And then Paul, the guy who wrote most of the New Testament, he said he talked about having this thorn in his flesh and that he prayed. In 2 Corinthians 12, it says three times, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. We don't know exactly what it is. It might have been a sight issue. It was some kind of thing that tormented him. He thought, he said, some kind of thing from the enemy that just torments me, right? Three times he pleaded with God to take it away. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness and insults and hardships and persecutions and difficult times. For when I am weak, I am strong. Paul desperate for God to intervene in some way in his life, said, God, but your will be done. And if you want me to continue to have this weakness, I will trust you in that because it will drive me to a deeper intimacy and relationship with you. But I'm going to pray for healing. But I am going to pray for healing. Look at Psalm 34, 18. It says, the Lord is close to the brokenhearted and saves those who are crushed in spirit. And there's a whole book in the Bible called Lamentations. The whole book is based on grieving and sadness and desperate honesty. I just pulled out one verse or a couple of verses from there. Lamentations 3, it says, Because of the Lord's great love, we are not consumed, for his compassions never fail. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. I say to my God, the Lord is my portion, therefore I will wait for him. So friends, today is a morning where we wait for him. Today is a day when, when whatever it is that you brought in here, whatever it is that has been tormenting you, whatever circumstances of your life that have been so brutal, or on behalf of others you might pray today, that God would intervene in a way that is profound, that he would, he, that he would draw someone else to dependence on him instead of defiance that they don't give up and say, oh, God isn't good because he didn't do my will, but that he would drive us and drive those that we love to a deeper relationship with him, to intimacy with him. And we're going to pray for that today. There's a passage in James 5 that talks about that we, when we have needs, when we have pain, when we have sickness, that we are to call out to God, come to the church, ask the elders to anoint us with oil and pray over us. So we do that here. We do that in faith. I'm going to invite the elders even to come now and the band to come back now. And we're going to take this next little bit to pray for you. Whether it's physical healing, emotional healing, mental healing that you need to be prayed for. Whether it's someone else that's close to you and you want to pray on their behalf. I want you to come today. I want you to come. I want you to let this dependence, this, this desperation drive you to dependence. I want you to invite him to do, to have his will be done in your life. But I want you to ask for healing. And these folks that are here are going to pray that for you. And we're going we're gonna to just ask, what is it that we can pray for? We're going to anoint your head with oil. It's not some kind of weird, funky, mystical thing. In the Bible, it refers to the Holy Spirit. Oftentimes, there's a parallel with him and oil. And so we just put this oil on your forehead and we, as a sign of saying, Holy Spirit, come and heal. So we want to invite you to do that today. Now, there's two prayers that you can pray. Maybe you find yourself on the, 
on the other side of the equation. Maybe you find yourself, you're, you're, you're at that point or you're close to that point where you're defiant. And you need to just surrender and say, God, I want to be driven toward dependence. Forgive me for hardening my heart and questioning whether you're good. You are good. You are faithful. Even though I don't feel it right now, I want to surrender. I invite you to pray that prayer tonight, today. Maybe you're here and you just, you just need to come up here and in your desperation pray. I want you to come. We're going to be here for a little bit. After a few minutes, you can go out and start to fill yourself with pancakes, and that'll be wonderful. But in these few moments, I want you to stay right here just for a few moments. And remember that Jesus instructed the crowd to play a role. If you are not in this season of desperation in this moment, I would just ask that you extend your hand and just pray for the people that are and that you would allow God's Spirit to prompt you who in your life do you need to bring to him? Who in your life do you need to encourage that he wants to drive to dependence on him through their desperate circumstances? So would you do that as the band plays? Would you just get up from your seat and would you come and would you let us pray for you this morning? God, I just pray that you would move, that your spirit would move this morning, that you would inspire us to come, to trust you in our desperation, you would drive us into intimacy with you, God. And I pray for healing today. I pray that people would walk out of here different as a result of your spirit's healing power in Jesus' name. So come on.